stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week I'm going solo to talk about the stock rally again and the increasing speculation that we were seeing, but maybe not anymore, as we're getting a bit of a pullback here. Will it become a correction? That's a 10% decline. We're waiting to see. But August was an amazing month for stock investors with new highs on the NASDAQ. It seemed like nearly every day, even though it wasn't every day, but it seemed like it. And growth and tech obviously were the kings and value, well, that was pretty much dead. I even heard someone on CNBC saying, oh, value, you can't own that, that's dead. But to Generation X investors like myself, it was seeming eerily similar to 1999 and even into 2000 over the past five to six weeks. And that's when many of us Generation X investors got sucked into the dot-com boom. The money was easy back then, too. The internet was new. Yahoo.com was the hot stock, or at least one of them. And everybody was starting companies. They were all going public, even if they had no earnings. You had to be in the stocks that were booming, just like today. You had to be in those tech stocks. And ironically enough, the... Uh, QQQ ETF launched back then. I don't remember the exact year. It was around 99 into 2000 that that ETF launched. This was like a new product and it allowed all the investors to just own simply the QQQs, which were dominated by tech as they are today. So um, the QQQs was what everybody was buying. You had to be in it. And that seemed like it would go on forever in 1999, 2000. I mean, tech was the new era. It was the internet and productivity and innovation. What could stop it? Nobody believed anything could stop it. But it seemed like by 2000, as we were all getting sucked in, it was, it turned out, the beginning of the end that year but none of us knew it at the time. Now, I used to own a book by a New York City journalist. I don't remember if he worked for the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. I wanna say it was the New York Times. I got rid of this book a couple years ago. It just had sat on my shelf all those years. But finally, when I was moving, I uh, purged some of my books and donated them. And this was one of the ones that was donated. Now, I tried to Google to find it again, but I could not. So I'm just going off of my recollections of what the book was about. But in it, he basically describes um, taking extra cash that his family had and buying the tech stocks, the tech mania into the year 2000. So he had been out of the tech investments in the late 1990s. But as many of us know who were in the investing world in the late 90s, the momentum really started to pick up by the end of that decade. And so going into 2000, it looked like, again, tech was limitless and the market rally was going to keep going forever. And if you weren't in tech, you were missing it. So he decided there in 2000, to get into it. And I believe he even started putting money in in March of 2000. Now we now know 
March of 2000 was the top of the NASDAQ during that rally. But we no one knew it at the time. It pulled back a bit in, in March of that year. And then, you know, everybody bought the dip and it went back up and then it didn't do much over the summer. Then it started to sell off again. But it wasn't like a full scale crash or anything was happening starting in March. It was just um, that was the top, but nobody knew it. So in 1999, the NASDAQ, as a reminder, was up 85.6% that year. So it was really hard to stay on the sidelines. So what this book described was the common investor psychology of having been on the sidelines, maybe just invested in the S&P 500, which also did well, I might add, in the late 1990s, but not 85% well. So it was hard to stay on the sidelines. And prior to 1999, with that huge gain, the NASDAQ had gained, um, starting in 1995, the following. So 39%, 22%, 21%, 39.6%, and then the 85.6%. So in just those five years, you can see that, yeah, you basically got rich if you owned the QQQs during that just five-year time period. So it was easy money. And if you didn't want to own the QQQs, all you had to do was buy Microsoft, Intel, Cisco, one of the big tech titans. They kept going up every year. And, um, you know, it was easy. And you were rolling in it. You were an investing genius, I like to say. So, again, not surprising that the rider got sucked into the market right at the top. So what does that leave us for today, and why do I say that it's feeling like for Generation X investors like myself and some baby boomer investors like Jim Cramer, who has been warning people for a week or two to take some profits, uh, alluding to 2000 and what happened then, is that for a lot of us, like a lot of the speculation feels the same and a lot of the comments feel very similar. And a lot of people are chasing the returns now, people who've been on the sidelines. And you know who you are, you know, because I felt it too. And I'm a professional investor. I felt the lure of, oh, maybe I should go buy one of those tech ETFs. Maybe I should look at the software ETF right here or the cloud services ETF. Maybe I don't own enough tech. Maybe I need to buy some more. What about those semiconductors? What's going on with them? instead of buying you know, the out-of-favor groupings that maybe might be in favor if this pullback continues um, here and you get a little bit of the froth coming in off of the tech. So off the March coronavirus lows, the NASDAQ has surged a little over 75%. Now it has pulled back off of that turn. But to me, that sounds eerily Similar, again, to the NASDAQ in 1999, up 85.6%. This is up 75%. It's only off those lows. It's not for the year, but that's just a tremendous rally. And again, it's sucking in a lot of us, you know, back into it or new investors, people on Robinhood, people setting up an account. And while I like having new investors come into the world of stock investing, it's sending up some 
some red flags. And for those of us who are Gen Xers, we're having a bit of deja vu here. So just because uh, it's 1999 or it feels like it going into 2000 here, does that mean I'm calling for this rally to be over? Is this the top here of this bull market that I trace back to 2013, others trace back to 2009, but it took out those last, those 2007 highs in 2013. So I trace it back only seven years. This cyclical bull, um, the secular bull is only uh, seven years old and that would be short for a bull market. But there's no guarantees that any market acts like the prior ones, right? And so we could say the same thing about the length of the secular bull and also whether or not that this is, quote, just like, unquote, 1999-2000, because no two bull markets are the same and none end the same. So I'm not necessarily calling this as the top here. We are getting a pullback. We may get a correction, and some tech stocks are already in a correction, which again is a 10% decline, and that would be healthy because we really needed it, right? The the froth was frothy. <laughs> the speculation was out there, and it's good to have a pause and take a breather and reevaluate what it is you're buying in. So what do you do now? I've talked about this the last couple episodes on various of my podcasts as things got a little heated here. I even did a podcast on whether or not you should sell your red hot stocks. And so I'm back with a look at maybe what you could be doing here now that we're actually getting the pullback. So of course, what I mentioned on those podcasts stays true today, and that is be diverse. Have investments outside of technology. I know that's hard because that was where the hotness was. But look at some beaten down areas or defensive industries. Because now that we've gotten a pullback, you can kind of see where the pullback is being focused on. Obviously, it is in tech or the high growth names like the Teslas, the Lululemons, um, Chipotle's. Some of those are having a bigger pullback than just your run-of-the-mill um, industrial stock or um, some other areas. So I took a look to kind of see what was happening in some of those other areas that maybe you might want to hide out in or at least put a little bit of money in so that if this turns into a correction overall in the market, while usually that'll pull everything down with it, some may not pull back as much as others. And we're kind of, again, already seeing that right now with what's happening in this mini pullback here. So what about something like large cap pharma? Now, some of the names have, have been on a run because they're working on vaccines for the coronavirus, but others are not. So what's happening with them? So I took a look at the group in general on Zax.com and large cap pharma, the total return over the last three months here in 2020 is just 1.5%. And that's well under the S&P 500 of 105 and it's even trailed the S&P 500 going back the last five years. So there may be some value there because the five-year return is just 52% for this group, for this industry, versus 91.7% for the S&P 500. So that's pretty substantial underperformance. The, big, the large cap pharma just really hasn't gone anywhere for numerous years here. And taking a look at it for the Zach's rank, 
there are no Zach's rank number ones in the group right here, and only one Zach's rank number two, which is the buys. So no strong buys and only one buy. And who is that buy right now? That is Merck, ticker MRK. They have a forward PE of almost 15. It's at 14.97, a peg of 2.22, and they're paying a dividend of 2.9%, which isn't, isn't too shabby there, but the 2.9. They do have single-digit earnings growth, as you might expect with some of these large-cap pharmas. They're not in the high-growth areas anymore, um, and some of that is the problem why they're keeping them uh, kind of in the doghouse here. But Merck earnings growth this year of 9.8% and next year of 4.2. And the key with some of these large cap pharmas is to get them as cheap as you can. So the PE 14.97, as I said, it's not super expensive compared to the overall market. It's not dirt cheap either. So on any pullback in these shares, you might want to consider um you know, diving in on them to get them even cheaper since you're not getting the double-digit earnings growth. You do want to get them as cheap as possible. Another one I looked at that is a favorite of mine is ABV, ticker ABBV. I own it in the value investor portfolio. It's going nowhere like all these stocks, but it's not also really going down much. It's just kind of sitting there treading water. Now, ABV has uh, merged with Allergon here, and they are the maker of Botox. So they are getting some new products, which a lot of large cap pharmas need. They need the growth somewhere. And this one is much cheaper, PE of just 8.8, .8, a peg of 1.5. And earnings growth this year, because of the acquisition, expected to be up 17% and another 17.3% next year. But again, you're getting it pretty cheap at 8.7 times and with a dividend yield of 5.2%, real juicy dividend yield there. So why not look around in some of these large cap pharmas? There's a couple other ones that I like as well. Most of them are number threes. AbbVie is a number three, which is the hold here at Zacks. Nothing wrong with holds. That's about 80% of all stocks. A lot of large cap stocks um, are expected to fall in the hold camp. So, yeah, large cap pharma, you might want to start to diversify your portfolio a bit and look around there. What about energy? It's still hated, and we're getting a little bit of a sell-off in the WTI and the crude market here, where crude had been between $40 and $45 for numerous weeks, but now it looks to be on the move, maybe lower, getting a big spike down when I'm recording this podcast on September 8th, 2020. And I would be surprised to see crude getting a little more volatile here because it is gonna move on the hope trade of an economic recovery, a global economic recovery. And if you're not gonna get that, or things are gonna get a little bit dicey, both in China and in the US, then you could see a pullback in the WTI prices. Now on the energy side, I still like the EMPs versus the big uh, big oil companies like the Exxons and Chevrons, which are struggling, even though those big guys are more diverse. They have refining, they have distribution, they have the service stations, some have chemicals, but the EMPs are just drilling it out of the ground and selling it, and both oil and natural gas. But I still like the EMPs. I feel like it's an easier play, and it's mostly domestic. 
mostly, not 100%, but mostly domestic plays. So where should you look there? As I keep repeating about John Blink's advice, don't be a, don't be a genius. You don't have to be here. Just go for the best. Go for the names that have the best balance sheets and that are gaining market share or um, position in their industries during these tough times. So the biggest or the best one in that category, in my opinion, is Pioneer Natural Resources, ticker PXD. It is a Zach's number two rank buy right here. And that's because seven estimates are up and none have been cut over the last 30 days for this year. And you have the earnings estimates on the rise for this year. Analysts got a little too pessimistic about the oil trade and crude did not stay as low for as long as they thought. So earnings, not as bad as everybody thought, still bad, but not as bad. So over the last 30 days, the earnings estimates here have risen to $1.78 from $1.42. That's why you got the number two rank because they're on the increase and everybody's in agreement that they're on the increase, all the analysts. That's still a decline of 78% from last year when they made $8.18. So huge decline, that's to be expected. We had a you know global shutdown and the US economy was essentially shut down. Oil demand still remains challenged. But by 2021, the analysts are getting a little more bullish. Looking forward, they're expecting 175% gain in those earnings back to 490 by next year. Again, that's still about half of 2019, but not nearly as bad as they thought even just three months ago. Three months ago, they were at $1.63 for 2021. Wow, under or just slightly above what they had here in, in 2020. So basically seeing almost no improvement into 2021, but they've changed their tune up to 490 now versus that $1.63. So 10 estimates are actually up for 2021 in the last two months. And Pioneer, one of the reasons I like them is for the balance sheet. They are one of the leaders and um, they just have great management. They are still paying their dividend. So think about that one, still paying it, yielding 2.2% right here. What are the shares doing? Can you get them a little cheaper here? They're still down 37% year to date. They are off those March lows, all of the energy stocks are off their March lows. They were down 62% in March. So um, more than almost half of that loss has been recouped. But over the last month, getting a little dicey again. It looks like they have peaked out on this recent rally, starting to feel a little weakness in there. They're down um, almost 9% over the last month. So again, if you can get these shares cheaper or any of the EMPs, because there are others I like in this group as well, but again, only by the strength and that you know who those are. I've, I've talked about, um, you know, the ones that have the most debt that are at risk in other podcasts. So Pioneer is one of the ones with the strength, but there are some others. But if you can get them cheaper, uh, you know, keep an eye on it, put it on your watch list and track it that way and see if you can get in a little cheaper here on a pullback. Now, another area you might want to consider, and this goes really against the grain and it's contrarian here, are some of the weak small caps. And it's very difficult to invest in just individual small cap stocks. I have a few, you get, you get uh, whipped around pretty good in some of those small caps. 
and you basically have to guess correctly on some of the small caps. Not to say you cannot do it, because I like to do it, but I, I invest in some individual companies plus ETFs, and the ETF will give you obviously the basket of stocks. So what about small cap value here? That area is probably the worst outside of energy in the entire stock market because who wanted value? That was dead. And who wants small caps, even small cap growth? That was all kind of dead. So small cap value, really dead. And I like the Vanguard small cap ETF, ticker VBR. I own it in my own personal portfolio. It's down 17% year to date still, but it was down 44% at the March lows. So it has rebounded. Over the last month, it's kind of done nothing. It's down 1.8% over the last month while the NASDAQ was off and running. So you can see what a contrarian play this is and how it takes some real strong stomach to buy this beaten down ETF that has basically gone nowhere for the last five years um, versus something like the NASDAQ. But this is where dollar cost averaging is your friend. So keep that in mind. If you can dollar cost average into it, you know, monthly or every other month or whatever your schedule is, then you are still getting more shares, even if it, you know, continues to be weak like this. So what's in this ETF? So the reason it's down and doing so poorly is because 20%, the largest area, the largest sector in the holdings is in financials. So that's the small banks. Nobody wants them. And now with the recession, they, they certainly don't want them. So that's holding back a lot of the small cap ETFs are financials, but certainly this one on the value side. Then the industrials, 18.9%. Then you had consumer cyclicals, 12.2, then real estate, 10.4, and then tech is still 10.2. So small cap value tech does exist, apparently. It's 10.2, and you're getting a little bit of energy exposure here, but almost nothing out, just 1.99%. So 2% of the portfolio is energy here. So you don't have to worry about the energy plays, but you do have to worry about financials if you own this. But what if you just bought a small cap ETF and not the value? So I took a look at Vanguard's S&P small cap 600 ETF. So it's a little more targeted. It owns fewer stocks than these small cap, uh, general small cap funds from Vanguard. But this fund or ETF, VIOO is the ticker here is a little bit different in its makeup, and that's why you might want to consider it. So again, we know that the small cap banks are getting hit. So this one, small cap banks are the third largest sector, not the top sector. Number one in this one is the industrials at 18.5. Tech is number two at 15.7. Then you have the financials at 14.5. Consumer cyclicals again at 12.1 which is similar to in the value ETF, and then healthcare actually at 12.9. Healthcare was way down the ranks in the value ETF at something like 7%. Energy is still in this one at 2.95%. So again, um, a little bit larger than the, the value ETF, but not by much, it's still very small. And 
you may, although I didn't check, be able to find some ETFs without energy in it. They may be stripping that out like they do with the S&P 500 funds now for those of you who don't want energy exposure at all because you're trying to be a social investor, you know, socially aware with the environment and all of that. So you'd have to check into that. We'd have to consult Nina Mishra here at Saks, our ETF guru, to find out if there is one that's a small cap without the energy. Um, but if there isn't, there soon will be because that's uh, in demand here. So what did this one do as a return? Year to date, it's down 12.9%. So just as a comparison, again, the Vanguard small cap value ETF, VBR, is down 17%. So quite a difference in actual returns. They're both down double digits, but not nearly as bad as the value one. And it was down 41% at the height of the March sell-off versus 44% or the value one. Basically everything got killed in the March sell-off, but some have had better rebounds. And chalk this one up to rebounds in the industrials and tech, which are the two biggest in this ETF. But as always, you wanna look around for any kind of areas where you could add diversity to your portfolio in this correction. And look around to add to some of your tech positions if they're gonna get a big sell-off here. That is the time to add more if you're still a believer in the business or if it's one of those tech names that isn't trading for crazy high valuations but it's gonna be sold off anyways. I'm thinking of some like Intel, it's been weak here, it's not, it's not down 10% in this pullback but it has pulled back a little bit here in the sell-off and it was already cheap among like by a PE ratio at least, and it may get a little bit cheaper here. So keep some of those on your list and some of the other names that you know you really wanted to get into. I have some on my list, both techs, some of the um, techie financial services, um, some of the social media stocks, uh, some retailers I've been waiting for some kind of pullback because there are some high growth names there. I'm keeping some restaurants on my list, but keep all those things and then you know diversify your portfolio into some of these other names. Now, if we get a true uh, sell-off where everything declines, then everything's gonna decline. There won't be any protection up from something like that. But there are some defensive names that I've just talked about that maybe won't see the big sell-offs like the Teslas and the Apples of the world that were caught up in the speculation. So look for those that were not caught up in the speculation as some names to add to your positions. So let me recap the tickers that I talked about to give you some ideas. So there was Merck, ticker MRK. It's the only Zach's number two buy stock in the pharmaceuticals of the large cap pharmaceuticals. And then there's AbbVie, which is paying that big dividend right now, over 5%, ABBV. And then you had on the energy side, buy the best, Pioneer Natural Resources, PXD, also paying a dividend yielding just over 2.2%. Then some ETFs can help you round out if you own all large cap and you need some small cap exposure. There's the Vanguard Small Cap Value ETF, 
that's really digging down deep in there. VBR is that ticker, and then just the small cap ETF, but it's the S&P 600 from Vanguard, VIOO. And I'm choosing both Vanguard uh, ETFs because they do have the low expense ratios historically compared to some other competitors. But always be sure if you're a long-term investor to be checking out those expense ratios because it can eat into your returns on those ETFs. So try to get it as low as possible if you are a buy and hold type of investor. But there's a lot going on out there. So I'll continue to have some interesting guests here on the Zach's Market Edge as we move through fall. And we know how fall is. It can always be a little dubious out there in some years. Um, this is when we get the volatility returning and we're in a presidential election year. So that's going to throw volatility in there too. So you don't want to miss a single episode. I'm going to be bringing you, like I said, shows every week here during these crucial months. So you want to subscribe. You can get us on Spotify. You can also get us on Apple podcast and we're on SoundCloud, but be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.